0: Father, thank you for the record of uh, the works that you accomplished through your son, Jesus. We thank you for uh, Luke and the job that he has done in assembling these eyewitness accounts and then putting them in an order that would present to us the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the hope of the ends of the earth, Jesus the Messiah. And we pray today that we would see more of you, that we would catch more of a glimpse of of your glory and your beauty and your Savior, our Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to show you on a map here. Uh, come with me to the Holy Land, to Israel. We were down here in Nazareth. We're going to be 20 miles over to the, to the northeast, up here in Capernaum. And uh, this was one of the favorite places we stopped for me, because of the significance of this city. This became the hometown of Jesus. He moved those 20 miles from Nazareth to Capernaum when he began his ministry and really set up shop there. So many things take place in Capernaum. Five of the apostles were from this hometown and called right out of this little fishing village. And so uh, just acquaint yourself there a little bit, and then I'll, I'll build out some of this with some pictures that we got when we were there And I'm excited about how this text really comes alive when we see these things all together. I want to begin with just the review of where we were. We've got to remember the impact of Jesus' teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. It's quite likely that he had the same sermon there that he preached in Nazareth, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, a release for the captives, sight for the blind, and to set free the oppressed. And he's saying, in a sense, the, the, the same thing. These scriptures have been fulfilled in your hearing. This is my mission, he says. Well, it didn't work so well in Nazareth. They became more agitated, and then with, it began with applause, and it ended with them trying to throw him off the cliff and kill him. And they ended up seeing the miracle that they had hoped not to see when Jesus simply walked right through them and escaped. Now, the authority of Jesus' words were also set on display when a man who had a demon spoke up and interrupted. Can you imagine right now if all of a sudden in our worship service someone stood up and a demon interrupted me? And Jesus, with a word, casts the demon out with a word. They cast him out, and the the man is thrown down. He's okay, and we all witnessed this in the synagogue there in Capernaum. They were astonished. They were in awe. They were wondering, where did he get this authority? Who teaches like this? Most of our rabbis are quoting other other rabbis. Jesus is teaching words authoritative and glorious and true, and, and, and they're his words. They come with authority. And he has such spiritual authority that with a word, he can send the demons running. Who is this man? Hmm. Now, we pick up the text. It's about noon on the Sabbath day. That is traditionally when the synagogue would let out on Sabbath. Right around noon, lunchtime, right? Everybody gets kind of hungry. You hear some stomachs growling. We get out a little earlier than that. Now today I might keep you a little longer just to make the point. No, I won't. I won't do it. Noon on the Sabbath day. Now let's pick up where we're at. Luke chapter four, verse thirty-eight. I'm calling this these couple of verses in your outline: kingdom power, kingdom power. It says that Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Okay. Now just we're going to go through this little by little because we only have six verses. And I really want to unpack the details of this. Jesus arose, left the synagogue. People would have been, would have been still kind of like, what just happened here? And he walks out of the synagogue, it says, and he enters into Simon's house. Now, remember how Luke does this? For those who were here when we went through the book of Acts, remember how often Luke would introduce a character by bringing first mention of that character in the previous uh, context. So in chapter 5, next week, we're going to meet the first calling of these apostles. Jesus knew these men, it seems, and uh, Luke wants us to kind of be introduced to Simon Peter in this, uh, at the end of chapter 4, uh, before he really tells us the, the big story. This is a very common thing in teaching. Uh, it's the, the principle of first mention. And so whenever you see a name for the first time in a book, you should stop and say, oh, that's, that's first mention. Simon Peter. He's significant. There's more coming. We're going to learn more about Simon soon. So the first mention of Simon Peter at the point that Luke arranged this material, he would have been extremely well known, and so he doesn't spend the time to build out all of who he is right now. But just remember the, the goal that Luke has in arranging his material. He's not so heavily concerned about the chronological ordering of these events. Matthew is really the most chronological of the Gospels. Luke is making statements of who Jesus is, and he's ordering his material to that end. He wants us to see this about Christ. And so he puts this miracle on the heels of the man who was uh, exercised of a demon. Now, here is Capernaum, modern day. This is taken from a drone, not A drone that we were with, um, but similar to the one that we sent up and uh, had some pictures. So let me point out just the layout of this city. A bunch of buses parked here. We walked down right in here and into the gates, and this is called the White Synagogue. Um, It is a spectacular synagogue built in the fourth century AD. Okay? Now, this octagonal structure here is uh, something I want to draw your attention to in just a minute. But all of these ruins, all the dark basalt uh, rocks, these are from Jesus' day. This is Capernaum, uh, the city of Capernaum. Look at how close and the walls and all of this is laid out right in here. The white stone has been brought in after the fact. So the synagogue that Jesus was in was right here where this one stands, but it's not this actual uh, building. So these rocks are very old, and we got to explore around and stand on these stones and got some pictures in there. It was extremely hot when we were there. Now, directly beneath this synagogue, I want to show you the foundation stones. This is the synagogue of Jesus, the foundation. See the dark basalt? This is Capernaum Rock right there, and this is where Jesus would have been teaching. So same place, but just a little lower, and they've dated those rocks, and it all lines up. That is, in fact, exactly the place that Jesus threw the demon out of the man and was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, it says he leaves the synagogue and he goes out to Simon Peter's house. So he would have left right out here and come through this maze, walked right through these little close alleyways and streets, right over here, and let me show you the drone shot that we were able to get. It's a little fuzzy, This is um, a Catholic church that was recently built on top of a very old, old octagonal church that was built on top of Peter's house. Okay, And they have studied archaeologically and uh, church history tradition holds that, in fact, this is the location of Peter's house. So over the years, um, folks have... Commemorated this place. Um, Certainly, the Catholic Church would see Peter as the first pope. Uh, We don't see him that way. We see him as the lead apostle of Christ. But our focus is all on Jesus, right? So, look at this. We're talking, I mean, you could throw a stone easily from here to here. It's a short distance. He walks straight out and straight into Peter's house, and there he is after uh, the synagogue releases, and he's probably hungry. Right? They've gathered for a meal, and he's going to spend some time now with Peter. Interesting, okay. That, you're seeing that? You're feeling everybody kind of acquainted? We, are we in Capernaum together now? Okay. Peter's house was uh, an interesting layout of a house. had a, an open courtyard in the middle where you could sit. You could go up on a roof, look out over the Sea of Galilee, and see uh, where he would make his living, right there on the water as a fisherman. Let's learn a little more about Simon Peter. It says, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. There's a lot we're learning about Peter. One, he's married, okay? He has a mother-in-law. There are other places where you have a sense that there's a family as well. So you might, by this time, I don't know if you ha- how many grandkids we've got of this lady who's sick, but we've got a family in view. Peter's there, his wife is there, maybe some kids, and his mother in law, who is ill with a high fever. She would have not been able to participate there in the synagogue. She would have uh, not witnessed what Jesus had just done. She was at noon with a high fever in Capernaum. Okay? And Gracie knows how hot it gets there. Very uncomfortable. Uh, I love Dr. Luke, how he brings out the details. The other gospel writers just say she had a fever. Luke makes it clear, as a doctor would, she had a very serious fever. This is a high fever. Uh, the word there is mega. It's a mega fever. She's very sick. So in that situation, what would we say? Well, just take a couple of Tylenol, right? I mean, that'll knock it down. You'll be okay. Not back then, right? This is a big deal. Fevers were taking people out. This is is a serious illness. And they begin to appeal to Jesus, who they have just witnessed speak words and throw demons out. Hmm. They appeal to him. I got stuck on the word they. Okay? Here's what happens. In the other Gospels, you learn that there's more than just Peter and his family in this house. Peter and his brother Andrew is there. And also James and John, his partners in fishing. They're also there, the the, the sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee. So you have four future apostles in the house, and I think they are making their appeal to the Lord to heal Peter's mother-in-law. I'm assuming his wife would as well, and the grandkids may be tugging on Jesus' robe and saying, can you help her? Who knows? Their appeal is made And now watch what happens. Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Okay. Now, oftentimes in the list of miracles, this one is kind of overlooked. Compared to some of the other things Jesus has done, this doesn't seem that spectacular, but it is. It's really incredible. The only other time that Jesus rebukes uh, an inanimate object is when he calms the, the sea. He rebukes the wind and the waves. Remember that? It's not common for Jesus to rebuke a sickness itself. He rebukes the fever, and the fever immediately leaves her. She is immediately and completely healed. Now, I can say, having been sick recently, with a fever, a about 10 days ago, in the trailer, shivering, so cold I couldn't warm up. I was falling apart, thankful for a wife who could warm me up. I wanted immediate and complete healing. But if the fever leaves you, you still kind of have that lag. Anyone feeling that? You've been sick recently? And you you, you know you're better, but you're just like, I don't have my strength back. I am just zapped. I've had a few days like that recently as well. This woman has the fever leave her, and she is at full strength, just like that. She pops up and begins serving lunch. Okay, so one minute, they're really concerned about her. She's shaking, and she has this horrible fever. The next minute, she's serving lunch, and they're sitting around the table. Now, imagine that lunchtime conversation. I mean, Peter... And his wife would have been sitting there in awe. Who is this guy? Look at that. She's totally fine. They're together that afternoon. She rose, began to serve them, and they make some great memories. The conversation would have flowed, and uh, they spent the afternoon to, together. I just want to draw your attention once again, which I think is what Luke wants us to see by including this here. There is incredible power on display. With a word, Jesus can send a demon fleeing. With great authority, he teaches and preaches. And then he takes, and with a word, a fever is rebuked and gone. Who is this man? It's not only power on display. The verses continue, and I think we see this. Kingdom compassion. Kingdom compassion. Verse 40 Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. Just stop and consider this. First of all, why did they wait? Okay, so we're talking noon. We're in Peter's house. Now everybody's healthy and we're doing good. We're having lunch. It's relaxing. Maybe we go up and we sit up on the roof and we're checking out the the view of the, the Sea of Galilee it's not until sunset that things begin to to happen. Well, here's why. This is Sabbath day, and all of the restrictions about the Sabbath day prevented people from moving about. You, You had to stay put. You couldn't travel on the Sabbath. That would be breaking the laws. And so they wait until sunset when they are free to move, and then everything happens. Sunset happens. They're free to go. And they, I mean, you imagine people running across the the countryside, go get so-and-so. He has a demon, bring him. So-and-so is sick, go get them. And they gather together at Peter's house. Don't miss the language of the doctor here. All those who had any who were sick. We're talking about a massive crowd. We're talking about what it felt like when we walked into my family's situation and we could hardly pray and hear the prayer because so many people were coughing. It was a cacophony of sickness. Okay, they're all gathering now at the door of Peter's house. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, we read, the whole city has gathered at his door. What is Jesus going to do? Well, here's the question you have to ask. Is he a fraud? Did he have some kind of snake oil thing? Was this just smoke and mirrors? Is Jesus like some of these guys, these these quote-unquote faith healers who have these big rallies and they, they screen all these people to come up and get healed, but they don't ever visit hospitals? Have you ever wondered why? Because they're frauds. It's fake. Is Jesus like that? Is he really going to be able to deal with the magnitude of all of these people? Look at what he does. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. This answers quite resoundingly, he is not a fraud. This isn't some sleight of hand. This is a man with authority and power, but also a man of tremendous love and compassion. Here, here's what we have to remember. Jesus could have come to the door of Peter's house and said, blanket healing for everybody. You're good, go home. Right? He could have done that. Here's what he chose to do instead. Come here. Come. Come in. What is it that, you're, what, what is it that you have? I have a terrible this and that. or My, my arm is withered. And he he touches each one. He lays his hands on each person, each one individually. Is he concerned about getting sick? No. His cleanliness, purity, and righteousness is so resolute that sickness flees at his touch. He heals. He restores. He makes whole. I don't know how long this took. We're not given any details how late into the night this went. But I have a sense that this was not a quick thing. Jesus took his time. It seems it's very individual, very close and personal and compassionate. It may have gone into the early hours of the morning before everyone was healed. Like everyone. More people who had demons also came and and he 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 came he cast out these demons and they cried you are the son of god but he rebuked them and he would not allow the demons to speak because they knew that he was the christ this is a fascinating thing the demons are making a proclamation about jesus they say hey you're the messiah and he says be quiet and come out now why would he want to silence the proclamation of truth. Well, consider the source, okay? If you are the Messiah, do you want demons proclaiming your Messiahship? Probably not. That's not a, that's not a real solid place to establish your credentials. And so he silences them. He keeps them quiet. They knew who he was. They, they shudder in the awareness that he is, in fact, the Messiah. One thing that just strikes me is this. It is not enough to just simply acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. The demons believe that, right? And they shudder in fear. That is not enough. Here's the difference between a true follower, disciple of Jesus and those who are just acknowledging His existence and His Messiahship. Worship. Bending the knee, making much of, glorifying, uh, tucking under, submitting to. That's the difference. Are you a worshiper of Jesus or are you simply acknowledging he is the Messiah? Do you bend your knee, bow before him? Is he your Lord and Savior? It's so important to remember this. He casts these demons out. He heals Everybody in Capernaum and probably the surrounding regions as they were running in throughout the night. Infinite power and intimate compassion. You know, when you come in contact with raw power, it's fearsome. It can be overwhelming and scary. It's like standing in a field when the the, the heavens let a clap of thunder out. You just want to fall down and hide. It's that kind of power that is on display here. But it's not not without love and tenderness and kindness and compassion. This is the great beauty on display in these, these verses. Infinite power. He says words and demons run for cover. He heals everybody. But he does so with a gentle touch and words, and eye-to-eye, and eye, heart of love and compassion. These are the two realities that just jumped off the page for me this week as I considered that. It's, it's the coming together of this power and this love, the heart of Christ, as He helps and heals. Now, a word about physical healing and spiritual life We have to remember that the main thing for Jesus is not this. The reason Jesus was sent, the primary mission, His goal, was not just to come heal everybody in Capernaum. All of that which He did was a pointer to all that He was and His mission in this life. Sometimes I think we can fall prey to treating God, a little bit like a genie in the bottle. What can you do for me? How can you make my life more comfortable, more fulfilling, more easy, more satisfying in, in all the ways that I prefer? And this, is, this sells a lot of books, friends. Is physical healing the end-all goal in this life? Live happy and healthy and wealthy? And go to hell? You see the problem here. The person who comes with a withered hand, who's struggled and suffered, Jesus meets with love and power and compassion and grace. And He heals that hand. To what end? To proclaim Himself as the way, the truth, and the life. The hope. He is the source of the greatest need. Forgiveness, deliverance, life, far more than the withered hand would ever help. You can go to hell with an unwithered hand, or you can see your hand miraculously changed by God and say, You are my deliverer, my Savior. We've got to keep this in mind. The gifts of God are not primary, God is primary. It's always about Him. He is the greatest gift. Everything Jesus did was to point to the reality that He had come with good news to the poor, not just monetarily poor or culturally poor, but those who had an awareness of their need to acknowledge, I am spiritually deficient. I need help. I need deliverance and saving." He came to proclaim liberty to the captives, those who acknowledge that they are bound by sin and Satan, and they are heading for death and hell apart from God's deliverance through Jesus. Those who are blind, I cannot see. I am lost in my sin. I'm literally kept in the dark by Satan. I need sight, and I see Jesus. And those who are oppressed, not simply political oppression, but spiritual life. That's the heart of it always. It doesn't negate the compassion with which God meets uh, each of these people through Jesus in those healings. But it points us to the reality that that's not the end of it. It's a pointer to His Messiahship. An authentication of His claim of Deity. Now, kingdom proclamation, this is where I think we see this really built out. Listen to 42 through 44. And when it was day, he departed and went into a a desolate place. Let me just say a word about this. It's morning time. Jesus gets up early. We don't have any sense of how long he slept or even if he slept, but he leaves from Capernaum, from Peter's house, and he goes out to a desolate place. He finds a place where he can go and be alone. But is he alone? What is his goal in getting away? Is it just, man, I just need some me time. I need some introvert recovery time. Enough with people already. No, that's not it. That's not it. He goes to a desolate place to pray. To pray. To experience intimacy with the Father. He wants to be with his father and these are moments that are so special they, they point us to this eternal relationship of father and son jesus though incarnate is still the son of god and he loves being with his father just the two of them together and so jesus withdraws to a desolate place it says the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them Now, what does that mean? They look for him all over. Just imagine this. Hey, has anyone seen Jesus? We've got more people. We we have more that need healing. We found more demon-possessed people. Someone find him. Kids, everyone, scour the hills. And they finally locate him. And the word goes out. It's like the flare goes up. We got him! Everybody up here! And they come running up. They would have kept him from leaving them. Why? Why? They wanted more miracles. They wanted more healing, more deliverance, more signs. Now, remember how Luke wants us to see this. He arranges material in such a way that we have this comparing and contrasting happening. I think he wants us to see the difference here between Nazareth and Capernaum. Jesus was rejected in Nazareth. Why? Because he wouldn't do what they wanted. They said, hey, show us some tricks. Do some stuff. We want to see your miracles. And he said, no. Not going to do that. In Capernaum, he was received, probably preaching the same sermon. And in that reception, their response and their faith in coming displayed itself in tremendous works and miracles. However, their conclusion was quite similar to those in Nazareth. This is what it boils down to. Control. Control. We want to employ what you can do for our end. We like when we see you do these things. We want you to do them at our command in Nazareth. Or in Capernaum, We're not going to let you leave. We don't want you to go elsewhere. Stay here. We will even if have to, we'll restrain you to keep you here. Control. Hmm. It is a a glorious thing they have beheld and a response that is not in keeping with the mission of Christ. He goes on and he says this. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So he went south after this. So we've just got to see this. He walks away from many more people who could have been healed. There were more people who wanted healing, and they looked to him for healing, and he said, I'm leaving. There's something more important that I have been sent to do than heal people all over the world. I'm here to proclaim something. I'm here to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, here's another first mention for us. The kingdom of God. This is a reoccurring theme throughout the gospel. It occurs 31 times in the gospel of Luke alone. And this is the first. So get ready. This This is going to be part of our journey all the way through this book. The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? And what does it mean that that Jesus is proclaiming it and preaching it all over? The kingdom of God, to sum it up, maybe most concisely would be this. It is the rule and reign of God. That's the kingdom of God. It's the rule and reign of God. And Jesus has come to preach the kingdom of God. He says it's near. It's close by. As he speaks these words, he opens people's eyes to see the power of God, the authority of God, and the Son of God. As he speaks, they are coming face to face with God himself, the king of the kingdom. I have been sent to proclaim the kingdom of God. The miracles authenticate that reality. It's about the kingdom of God. Kingdom proclamation. So our response this morning, we have witnessed kingdom power and we have witnessed kingdom compassion. And we have seen the purpose of Christ extend beyond just the physical, but to the true realm of of accomplishing a cosmic deliverance, a spiritual salvation. The king and his kingdom. I I had some Jehovah's Witnesses come to my doorstep. They probably have a big red dot on my address now. They wanted to talk a lot about the kingdom. You know who I wanted to talk about? The king. They didn't want to talk about the king. Jesus, the king, the son of God, the victor, the king of kings. The one who brings the kingdom to us. The way we understand the kingdom of God is by locking eyes with the king that he sent to bring us into his kingdom. Jesus says in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're not going to see the kingdom unless you see me first. Face to face. And so that is the primary in this text. That's what Luke wants us to see. That is the goal of this passage. It's about the king and his kingdom. He is a king of infinite power and of intimate compassion. This is the glory of our king. Who who can stay his hand? Who can ever overwhelm this king? No one. Unless he lays his life down willingly. For the purpose for which he was sent. To purchase us from our death and hell. And raise us by faith in him eternally. To make us heirs of the kingdom. Joint heirs with Jesus. All of grace. What a friend we have in Jesus. I was struck by this song. The man that wrote this was from Ireland. He was prepared to be married to his uh, childhood sweetheart. They fell in love. The day before their wedding, they were riding horses to meet one another near the edge of this river as kind of a final excitement before the the, the wedding ceremony the next day. She got there before he did. Her horse stepped in a hole and threw her into the river. She hit her head and drowned. Died. Just as he rode up so here is his bride, the love of his life, and she's gone. He is devastated at this loss. He immigrates to Canada, comes over, meets another girl years later, falls in love, is about to be married. This bride of his falls ill with pneumonia. And after three weeks of caring for her, she dies. He is crushed once again. And in his darkest hour, he pins a poem and sends it to his family in Ireland. It's this song What a friend we have in Jesus! All our sins and griefs to bear. He could take it all. What a privilege, friends. We have to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I don't know what situation the new year brings to your life. I don't know what the days ahead will unfold like. But I will tell you this without any doubting. You have an anchor in Jesus Christ. The friend of friends. The king of kings. The Lord of lords. He has overcome. And we have access by grace into this great gift. Look to him. Depend upon him. Cry out to him. And he will meet you in your deepest need. Some of you dealing with chronic pain. I know it. I, I, I know it. I see your faces here. Some of you are dealing with tremendous loss. And we have been praying for you and, and sharing those, those heavy weights and burdens. Remember this. In 2019, what a friend we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we have witnessed your power. And the love of your heart in compassion. We thank you, Lord, that you don't save in this impersonal, corporate type of way, but you, you save individually, face to face, in a moment. Lord, thank you for the fact that though you are so high and exalted, you stoop down and you meet us in our need. You know our deepest hurts, our pains, our trials. You know our greatest need, which is life in you, forgiveness, freedom. And you send Jesus to be all of that for us today. Lord, we know that there are times that you use even pain and and physical ailments and heartaches to drive us to our knees to acknowledge our greatest need, which is forgiveness and life and, and, and peace with you. I pray if there would be any here today who have not yielded their their life to You as as, as submitting to Your Lordship and welcoming Your rule and reign in their life, crying out to You, repenting of their sin, I I pray that today would be the day. And for all of us who have, Lord, remind us once again as we begin this year the incredible power that You have and the incredible power compassion that you show in all of this through Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.